What's up, everybody? You have found yourself listening to another edition of the Bite Size Breakdown. My name is Micah Hendrick, and yes, that means there's no Josh or Nate today. Uh, I told Josh to go take a vacation, and I told Nate, hey, buddy, go trim your beard. Let me get on the mic and talk about a game that I'm passionate about. And uh, that game, well, let me back up a little bit. First, uh, Josh and Nate were um, awesome enough to let me come on before and talk uh, at length about Shadow of the Colossus. We did a two-part episode, I guess, I don't know, about six months ago or so. I'm not sure. And you can go listen to that. But uh, I've also been on the uh, Reform Gamers podcast, um, if you're familiar with that. Uh, Logan and Adam have been gracious and let me get on that a handful of times. Uh, so uh, I, I've been around in the uh, reformed game circles, I suppose, and the backlog breakdown uh, Facebook group and the TRG Facebook group. But um, but yeah, just wanted to uh, thank Josh and Nate for letting me get back on, I guess. Um, I have no earthly idea how long this is going to take me. This is a bite-sized breakdown, but uh, I don't know if I'm, it's going to take me 40 minutes to get through this or six. But uh, anyway, I want to talk about Metal Gear Solid. For a long time... I wrestled with sort of, and I don't know why it even mattered to me, but I wrestled with like what my favorite game ever is. And I always struggled between Metal Gear Solid and Shadow of the Colossus. And I think over time, Shadow of the Colossus has proved itself to be this sort of seminal work that just doesn't age. Um, I guess maybe the remasters and the recent remake have helped that. But So I was able to get on the mic and talk about Shadow a lot, but I feel like in these two groups in our inner circles where I don't hear a whole lot of love for Metal Gear. I know it's out there, but I just don't see a lot of conversation about Metal Gear Solid and particularly about the very first PlayStation 1 classic Metal Gear Solid. Um, so real quick, just a brief overview of Metal Gear Solid. It came out for the PlayStation 1 in 1998, and this is, I guess, the first follow-up to the Metal Gear franchise, which originally launched uh, for the MSX in 1987, um, there was just the game Metal Gear, and then in 1990, the sequel, Metal Gear 2 Snakes, or Solid Snake, I believe it was called, Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, um, was in 1990. Both of those for the MSX system. Uh, there are some poor ports. I'm not even sure if they're ports. They may just be entirely different games on the NES that are not uh, the same. But anyway, uh, Hideo Kojima had his hand in those first two MSX games. So fast forward to 1998, and the PlayStation is out, and Hideo Kojima is this hot young designer for Konami, um, publisher out of Japan, and he he feels like he can finally sort of fully realize this vision that he's had in his head for a while, thanks to the hardware of the PlayStation One. You know, uh, it was the one of the first video game consoles to have a CD-based uh, disc drive. Um, so it can hold a lot more information as far as voiceover audio and those sorts of things. Hideo Kojima started crafting this game, Metal Gear Solid, and it came out to critical reception uh, nearly everywhere. And um, if you owned a PlayStation at the time, you had to play Metal Gear Solid. Um, for me personally, I was in 1998, I would have been 15 years old, and I had just gotten my PlayStation in 97 and was consuming games like Resident Evil 1 and 2 and uh, Final Fantasy 7. 
and this game comes along and I, I, I'm hearing the buzz about it and I played the demo before it came out and was simply blown away by the first, I guess, 15, 20 minutes of, of the campaign and um, played the demo to death, mastered it, got really good at stealth just from that fir- those first couple of areas in the snow that you, you hang out in with the guards. So I knew I wanted to get the game when it came out and I picked it up and this game absolutely altered the landscape of what I thought video games could do and be. Um, I was already sort of being awash with that, simply having a PlayStation and being um, exposed to 3D graphics for the first time and sort of this new lens at which you were viewing video games and stuff. I'd been used to a bunch of 2D stuff with the Sega Genesis and whatnot. I didn't have a PC. So this was a whole new world. And then Metal Gear Solid comes along and it's like, wow. Um, So what is it that makes Metal Gear Solid special? Um, I mean, it's revolutionary in a lot of ways, people will say, but I wanted to call out a few things that for me personally, I think make Metal Gear Solid special. And really, I'm, I'm talking Metal Gear Solid 1 specifically. The entire franchise has a special place in my heart. Um, but this game, the first one, is is really unique, and um, it set the framework for how the franchise would march forward uh, in the future. So, the first thing I wanted to bring up is the bosses. Right up front, you're watching a cutscene uh, for the game. It, it's starting up, you haven't had gameplay yet, and you're getting your mission briefing from Colonel Campbell. And he's telling you about Foxhound, which is the group of terrorists uh, that have taken over Uh, Shadow Moses Island, a nuclear disposal facility. By the way, this is going to be rife with spoilers. For Metal Gear Solid, I'm going to spoil the heck out of this. So if you've not played this game, which is 21 years old now at this point, um, definitely go play the game. I don't know if I'm going to be spoiling a whole, whole lot here, but uh, just fair warning, I am going to go into deep story spoilers for this game. but the colonel uh, outlines all the villains for you right up front. He goes down the list. Decoy Octopus, Psycho Mantis, Sniper Wolf, Vulcan Raven, Revolver Ocelot, and then the leader of them all, Liquid Snake, which turns out to be your twin brother, uh, Solid Snake's twin brother, the character you play as. And each one of these bosses is integrated in a way that is just masterful. So uh, I'm going to break these down one by one. Um, the first one you meet is Decoy Octopus. You don't actually fight him. You don't know story-wise at the time that it is Decoy Octopus. You're talking to uh, who you think is the DARPA chief, one of the hostages you're supposed to uh, rescue, and it's actually Decoy Octopus who's trying to get some information out of you. Um, So long story short, you wind up killing him through a sort of virus that you're carrying and you're hosting in your body, um, and you move on to uh, to the next guy. Uh, again, you don't know at the time that you actually killed the de- decoy octopus. Um, but the first actual boss you fight is Revolver Ocelot, who is a seminal character throughout uh, Metal Gear lore. And you get introduced to, um, this is sort of the area where you first start to see um, what I'll call uh, throughout this episode, Kojima-isms. Um, you start to see some of the cool uh, factor of Metal Gear um, because there's like ricocheting bullets going around. He, uh, uh, Revolver Ocelot shoots with a six shooting revolver and um, can ricochet bullets off the wall and hit you. And you've got to you got to take this guy down all while another hostage you're supposed to protect is being is tied up in the middle of the room, trying not to move and set off this bomb. 
Um, so it's a really tense boss fight. And really the, the, the gameplay of this fight isn't so special, but part of what is, is after you beat Revolver Ocelot, you're introduced to the Cyborg Ninja who comes in and slices off Ocelot's hand. Um, and at this point, 15-year-old Micah is absolutely reeling and like, whoa, this can be in games? Uh, I just, <laughs> it was definitely some more mature content that I wasn't used to. Um, and uh, and it, it had a cool factor, like I said, that you just had not seen before. Everything was blending in this scene well from the, the cool music and the, the voice acting and everything. Um, but uh, anyway, that's Revolver Ocelot. Um, next up, I believe, is Vulcan Raven, who is probably you know, lower on the list as far as uh, you know how popular he is. But you, you play him a couple of times, once in a tank and later on in the game. Um, he's just wielding this big, huge Gatling gun. and He's a hulk of a man. Um, so a couple of fun boss fights there. Next up, I'll talk about Sniper Wolf, which is an epic sniper battle, a sniper duel between Solid Snake and Sniper Wolf. And um, you have to take these pills to sort of calm yourself down, calm your nerves down, and and hold the sniper uh, steady. Uh, just a lot of cinematic and story-driven um, things I won't go into here that make this fight really, really important with the character Meryl. But what the, the boss I really want to talk about in... Probably the most popular of them all is Psycho Mantis. And this is where um, Hideo Kojima just absolutely shines. And he's completely outside the box thinking. Um, and I guess this will sort of segue into sort of a bunch of Kojima-isms that I'll sort of list out of what makes this game special. But, and again, spoilers here, but um, you go into the Psycho Mantis fight and Psycho Mantis's powers is he can read your mind. Um, so you go in and you have a cutscene, and back on the original PlayStation, he starts reading your memory card and telling you what games are on your memory card. Like, oh, if you have a Konami game um, or so, a few other games, they would be like, oh, you you like blah, blah, blah. And, and he would say that, and you're like, what? Hold on, what's going on? And he would tell you things about your gameplay up to this point, about how maybe you're really careful or really careless and, and these sorts of things. And then uh, the very first DualShock controller for the PlayStation had just came out. And Metal Gear Solid was one of the first games to really feature a, a lot of, of uh, the, uh, the features, I guess, of the DualShock. Um, and so Psycho Mantis commands you to lay your controller on the floor. Lay it completely flat. <laughs> and so you put it down and of course the controller starts vibrating. And he's like, I'm moving it with my mind. And so again, all this just crazy stuff before you even start. And then you start the battle and um, he completely owns you. You can't get in a lick anywhere. And uh, you start to realize if you talk to your buddies on the codec on the radio that he's reading your mind. He's, he's knowing your moves before you do them. So a, a minute or two into the fight, you'll notice that the screen goes blank. And again, you got to put yourself back in 1998 with CRT TVs and stuff. Think about inputs. And, you know, if you didn't have an input hooked up, it would just say video one on the top right or video two or something like that. Well, the screen would go black. It would make this weird beeping sound. It would just say Hideo, as in Hideo Kojima, instead of video on the top right. And you're like, what? And five or 10 seconds goes by and it goes back to gameplay. And you're like, that was 
weird. And what the game is trying to prompt you to do, you could find out, is that it wants you to change your controller port from controller port 1 to controller port 2. That way, Psychomantis can't read your mind, and you can continue playing and fighting him and basically kicking his butt after that. Um, so that's the sort of uh, the whole shtick with Psychomantis. And um, I know that may sound kooky and weird by 2019 standards, but... All that culminated to a what the heck boss fight that just blew everyone's minds. And I think, honestly, still holds up. I just got done replaying the game recently. Still holds up to this day. I mean, I know the mechanic and I win it and it's just, it's awesome still. Um, so Psycho Mantis is a really, really special boss that really holds a spot on what I think is sort of the Mount Rushmore of video game bosses. Um, I think you have to put Psychomantis on Mount Rushmore for that. Um, I know that that would be an interesting conversation. Maybe we can have that in the Facebook group. What would be the Mount Rushmore of video game villains or bosses, I guess? Anyway, um, podcast for another time. So that's Psychomantis. Um, some other sort of Kojima-isms that I'll rattle off here uh, quickly. Um, at one point, you're talking to the arms tech president, Kenneth Baker. That's one of the hostages you're supposed to uh, rescue. And you're watching in a cutscene, and you're trying to find out the uh, radio frequency for a contact he's telling you to get in contact with. And Snake's like, I don't know it. And he's like, uh, uh, the, the arms tech president's like, uh, oh, it's on the back of the CD case. And as the player, you're like, okay, let me check my inventory. A CD case. I don't, I don't have a CD case. Like, what is it? And he's, he's literally talking about the PlayStation CD case that your game came in. Flip it over to the back and look at the screenshots on the back, and you'll see a screenshot of Snake talking to that contact you're supposed to talk to with the frequency you need. And that's how you find out what the frequency is in the game. <laughs> so that was a cool thing. Um, cardboard boxes, which are really kind of uh, synonymous with Solid Snake. Um, the introduction of cardboard boxes, again, um, stealth, the stealth genre was... In its infancy, if you know, I don't know if anyone was really doing a whole lot back then in that space. But um, stealth games weren't really around, and and you know you had to be sneaky in these games. And one way you could be sneaky is to hide under a cardboard box as a guard may approach or walk around the corner. If you put yourself, you know, not right in the way and sort of off to the side, the guard will walk by and think, think nothing's there. So uh, just having cardboard boxes so that you could peek through the little little slit in the first person perspective and see where the guards are. Um, and, and then move on um, it has been great. The torture scene, about two-thirds of the way through the game, uh, Snake gets captured, and Revolver Ocelot is interrogating him uh, and torturing him, uh, trying to get him to spill the beans on a bunch of stuff. And that whole sequence um, ha is, is laced with uh, innovation. Well, first and foremost, um, it takes real... I won't say skill, it takes something to get through this torture scene because you basically have to pound the circle button as fast as you can, a la Mario Party. And um, your health gauge is depleting as you do this and as you press circle over and over, it slowly fills back up, but you're being shocked essentially and your, your health meter is always going down and it's really hard to keep your health meter up and not die. Um, Mei Ling, one of your uh, contacts that helps you says, hey, is, would it be a good idea to save it before this? Because when you go into the torture scene, if you die, it's game over. There's no, um, there's no continue or whatever, so you have to reload a save file. Um, so it's really intense. They get you as the player scared and sort of dreading this, like what is coming up as a player? Like I, I, 
I got to save. Like, I can't continue. Okay, that's weird. And then so Ocelot's talking to you and he's starting to really scare you because he's, he's hyping you up before he torches you. You start going through it and it's it becomes literally painful in your arm. Like your muscles just start sort of cramping up and stuff because you go through, I think, four waves of this two or three times, depending on your actions. Um, and by the end of the, the four waves, it's your arm's really kind of hurting. Um, and so to that end, another innovation, you go back in between torture moments. You get put back in your cell and you can talk to the people in your, on your radio. And at one point, uh, the doctor tells you to put the DualShock controller up to your arm and she'll send you some, some sort of injection or something like that. And basically, it's just the controller starts vibrating again as you hold it to your actual arm. It's supposed to be like a massage to make you feel better. And man, if it didn't actually feel kind of nice back then when I was 15, I don't know. Um, that, but that was sort of just a neat thing. And then again, you're stuck in the gel cell and your buddy Otacon uh, comes and he's supposed to help you bust out, but all he delivers you is a handkerchief and a bottle of ketchup. And so the, what you're supposed to do to sort of figure this out is you, uh, ultimate guards watching you most of the time, but you lay down and, uh, put the ketchup out as if you, you, you're bleeding everywhere all over the floor and you just lay down like you're dead. And so when the guard sees you, he's like, Oh, what? And comes in and you take him out. So just little things like that, that it's just a one-off that, uh, it's just really, really clever. Um, and then the last thing that I'll sort of gush about with Hideo Kojima himself is just, um, this is where he, he had made previous games like, um, Snatcher and Police Knots. This is the first game where he really was able to go off with his, um, directorial and writing vision, I think, um, in ways that he hadn't been able to before. Um, he sort of brought cool to video games in a lot of ways. And uh, so, so Metal Gear, he kind of brought this, this like mixture of face-off, like John Woo's face-off, anime, and just I guess just general popular action movies because he he loves he loves movies. He's a big fan of cinema, and he brought all this to a video game, and executed it in such a such a great way. His framing for certain shots still hold up to this day. They're still cool shots. Um, the just the edits, the music, is, uh, and the the writing and the script and voice acting all still hold up. Again, I just recently replayed uh, the game, and that was one thing that I was initially struck by. It's like, wow, these this voice acting really holds up. Especially David Hayter, the voice actor of Solid Snake, um, delivers really one of the top performances of, of video game voice acting, in my opinion. Uh, David Hayter got snubbed for MGS Five and all forever be ill at Konami for that. But anyway, another conversation. So really kind of after Metal Gear Solid, um, Kojima became a superstar for Konami. And Metal Gear Solid went on to become one of really one of the most beloved franchise video game franchises ever. Um, it's um, unfortunate how unceremoniously uh, Kojima had to leave Konami in the wake of Metal Gear Solid 5 and really just kind of how that game in general turned out, but, um, <clears throat> you know, the popularity of Metal Gear Solid is going to, I mean, just, you know, Solid Snake being in Smash Brothers, for example, you know, and that was, that's been a while now. Um, you know, Solid Snake and that character, he resonates with people and in, and in pop culture now. And uh, so the, the work that Kojima and company 
And I want to give a shout out to Yoji Shinkawa, the art director for this game and really the entire Metal Gear franchise. I've been posting his art throughout the the uh, Facebook groups the past week or so because um, I've been just engrossed in this world again. Um, but uh, Kojima and Yoji Shinkawa really they have when you when the credits are rolling you see their names peppered everywhere in, in literally every department in ways that you wouldn't expect, especially modern. Uh, game leads to, to be doing that but uh, they they set a precedent that was um, for for a level of video game that just wasn't being made at the time um, a level of storytelling and a level of direction uh, that uh, wasn't being employed at the time um, so it was a trendsetter in that way and it will always hold a special place in my heart due to uh, all that um, so you know a lot of things a quick aside I believe that you know you see lenses through uh, excuse me you see games through the lens of, of the age that you're at in which you consumed it. So again, I was 15 years old when I first played this game, so an extremely impressionable age. Um, and uh, to me, this was like I, I just never see, I had never seen anything like it. It blew my mind um, and has held my fascination uh, even 21 years later. Um, so uh, while Shadow of the Colossus, I think, holds in my heart the, the number one spot. Metal Gear Solid is really right there with it as a 1B um, for the innovation that Kojima brought to the whole entire industry and continues to bring. Um, I think uh, Death Stranding looks incredible and completely like, what? Um, so I'm very excited to see what he produces finally with a different IP. Um, but yeah, so uh, Backloggers, that's my bite-sized breakdown on Metal Gear Solid. Um, Thanks for sticking with me these uh, 20 or some odd minutes. Uh, tune in next week, I guess, where Josh and Nate will be breaking down the benefits of these backlogs that you have in your home. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Backlog Breakdown. If you want to join in the conversation, you can email us at thebacklogbreakdown at gmail.com or join our Facebook group, The Backlog Book Club, on Facebook. And on Twitter, our handle is at bbdowncast. Of course, you can also catch Nate and I on our social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and the GG app. I go by Broccolope, that's spelled B-R-O-C-C-O-L-O-P-E, and Nate goes by Nate underscore McKeever. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com slash thebacklogbreakdown. Till next time, loggers, you keep beating down those backlogs, and we'll keep breaking down the benefits. 